Good morning, and welcome to Simply Tech. It's Sunday, February 11th. On today's show, Tesla's iPhone app gets better digital car key support with ultra-wideband, and Apple argues against a right-to-repair bill that would reduce its control. Plus, Apple defends parts pairing as Oregon mulls a right-to-repair bill. This coverage and more, up next. I'm David, and you're listening to Simply Tech. We start off with a new feature in Tesla's app that promises to enhance the use of phones as digital keys. The 2024.2.3 version of the app now supports ultra-wideband, or UWB, for iPhones. This technology offers more reliable and secure use than Bluetooth, thanks to its precision tracking. Here to discuss this further is Abby, a correspondent for Simply Tech. Can you tell us more about this new feature? Certainly, David. Ultra-wideband technology allows the car to know exactly where the key is, which enhances security by protecting against replay spoofing attacks. It's so precise that it can even determine which user is on the driver's side of the car if two people with phone keys are approaching the vehicle. This is the same type of precision tracking that enables accurate location of Apple's AirTags. That's quite impressive. But what about Android users? Will they be able to use this feature? As of now, this feature is not available for Android users. However, some recent Pixel and Galaxy phones do include UWB chips, so it's possible that support could be extended to them in the future. And how can users access this new feature? After downloading the update, users should see a prompt to upgrade your phone key. They'll then be asked to give the app access to nearby interactions, an iOS setting that allows the iPhone's U1 chip to interact with the app. This can be found under Settings, Privacy and Security, Nearby Interactions. Are there any limitations to which Tesla models or iPhones can use this feature? Yes, there are some limitations. According to Not a Tesla app, only the newest Model 3 and 2023 Model X support the feature at present. However, the newer Model X and S and Cybertruck should get it down the line. As for iPhones, all models from the 11 onward come with UWB, excluding SE models. Thanks for that report, Abby. Now shifting gears to another tech story, Apple's stance on the right-to-repair bill seems to be fluctuating. While the tech giant backed a right-to-repair bill in California, it was recently seen lobbying against a similar bill in Oregon. The bill in question, SB 1596, aims to ban the practice known as parts pairing. Michael, our correspondent for Simply Tech, is here to discuss this further. Can you explain what parts pairing is and why it's controversial? Certainly, David. Parts pairing is a restriction imposed by companies like Apple that can prevent customers from repairing a device with aftermarket parts. In some cases, Apple requires users to pair replacement parts like batteries and screens to their device using Apple's system configuration tool. If the part isn't verified as from Apple, customers will receive notifications that say the part they've installed isn't genuine, and features like Face ID may refuse to work. So what does the proposed bill in Oregon aim to do? The bill, SB 1596, would require companies to provide the documentation, tools, and parts both customers and independent repair shops need to fix broken products. It also targets parts pairing, aiming to prevent original equipment manufacturers from using parts pairing to inhibit independent repair providers or owners 
from installing or enabling the function of a replacement part. It also seeks to prevent manufacturers from reducing the functionality of equipment or causing it to display unnecessary or misleading alerts about unidentified parts. And how has Apple responded to this? Apple's senior manager for the secure design team, John Perry, testified during a hearing about the bill. He stated that Apple uses parts pairing to make repair easier while ensuring the device and its data remain secure. Perry argued that the bill's stance on parts pairing will undermine the security, safety, and privacy of Oregonians by forcing device manufacturers to allow the use of parts of unknown origin and consumer devices. However, he also mentioned that Apple has updated the parts pairing process so that customers no longer have to contact Apple support when installing a new part. What has Apple done in the past regarding the right to repair? After years of fighting against the right to repair, Apple announced a new initiative last October to make parts, tools, and documents available to customers. The company has also launched, and continues to expand, a self-service repair program that includes a range of iPhones and Macs. However, the recent lobbying against the Oregon bill indicates that Apple still wants to maintain some control over the repair process. Thanks for that report, Michael. In related news, Oregon is on the verge of becoming the latest state to pass right-to-repair legislation with Senate Bill 1596. The bill has received support from Google, but Apple has expressed concerns about certain inclusions. Here to discuss this further is Celeste, a correspondent for Simply Tech. Can you tell us more about this bill and why it's causing such a stir? Certainly, David. The bill is aimed at making it easier and more cost-effective for consumers to get their devices repaired. It's inspired by a similar law in California, which Apple supported. However, Apple has taken issue with a policy in the Oregon bill known as parts pairing. Can you explain what parts pairing is and why it's controversial? Parts pairing is a policy that requires the use of first-party components during the repair process. Critics, including iFixit and the Public Interest Research Group, have called it a major obstacle to right to repair. They argue that it limits consumer choice and drives up repair costs. However, Apple defends the policy, saying that the use of some third-party parts could present a security issue for users. So what is Apple's stance on this bill? Apple has expressed support for the majority of Senate Bill 1596. However, they strongly oppose the current language around parts pairing. They argue that it could undermine the security, safety, and privacy of Oregonians by forcing device manufacturers to allow the use of parts of unknown origin in consumer devices. What has been the response from the bill's sponsors? Senator Janine Solman, one of the bill's co-sponsors, has described Apple's dealings with the bill as very private. She expressed frustration over having to relay potential changes to the bill on behalf of Apple. Despite this, she says that many of Apple's proposed changes that are in the California bill have been entertained. The main sticking point remains the parts pairing provision. What are the potential implications of this bill if it passes? If the bill passes, it could set a precedent for other states to follow. It could also potentially impact the global tech industry, as manufacturers may not be able to restrict such provisions regionally. However, it's also important to note that the bill could face legal challenges, particularly over the parts pairing provision. Thanks for that report, Celeste. In a shocking turn of events, we move from tech developments to tech-related incidents. 
Last night in San Francisco's Chinatown, a Waymo driverless taxi was attacked and set on fire. The incident, which took place around 9 p.m. PT, saw a person jump on the hood of the taxi, smash its windshield, and ultimately set it on fire. The car was fully engulfed in flames by the time the fire department arrived. James, our correspondent for Simply Tech, is here to discuss this further. Can you tell us more about what happened? Certainly, David. The Waymo taxi was not carrying any passengers at the time of the attack. According to Waymo representative Sandy Karp, fireworks were tossed inside the car, sparking the flames. The San Francisco Police Department confirmed that they responded to the incident at approximately 8.50 p.m. PT, but by then, the car was already on fire. There were no reports of injuries. That's quite alarming. Do we know anything about the motive behind this attack? At this point, no motive has been reported. However, it's important to note that this incident takes place against a backdrop of growing tension between San Francisco residents and automated vehicle operators. Last year, the California DMV suspended the robo-taxi operations of Waymo's rival, Cruise, after one of its cars struck and dragged a pedestrian. There have also been instances of automated taxis causing chaos in the city, blocking traffic or crashing into fire trucks. So, there's been a history of issues with these automated vehicles in the city. How have city officials and residents responded to these incidents? Yes, there has been opposition from both city officials and residents. Last year, there was opposition to the cars being given a license for 24-7 operation. Some residents even rendered the cars immobile by placing orange cones on their hoods in protest. Vandalism and defacement of public property are not new phenomena, and tech companies deploying their equipment in public have had to deal with these issues. It's a complex issue indeed. How are tech companies responding to these incidents of vandalism and defacement? Tech companies are certainly being forced to reckon with these challenges as they deploy their equipment in public. Incidents of scooters being tossed into lakes, cars being punched by pedestrians, and dockless bike-share bikes being destroyed en masse have been reported. However, it's unclear at this point what specific measures Waymo or other companies might take in response to this latest incident. Thanks for that report, James. It's a situation that certainly warrants close monitoring. And with that, we wrap up our stories for today. Thanks for listening to Simply Tech. We'll see you back here tomorrow.